Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Guys, good morning. Man, I uh, am so excited and honored to be here. I love Kyle, love the elders here, love the staff, and uh, I'm just pumped to be a part of Palm Sunday with y'all. So welcome. If it's your first time or 50th time, happy Palm Sunday. As Kyle said, I've been on staff at Watermark for the last 13 years. I have been, uh, more importantly, married to my wife, beautiful wife, Callie, for the last 10. Here's a picture of our family. We've got a seven-year-old son named Crew, a four-year-old daughter named Monroe, who's already a handful and lots of concerns there, and a one-year-old baby who is just the best, despite the fact that he's clearly not happy about being in this picture, named Bear. And that's a little bit about our family. We're gonna be in Psalm 118. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Psalm 118. If not, it'll be up on the screens. We're gonna read a Psalm that is fitting for Palm Sunday because it was actually sung by people on the first Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And we know at the end of that week, he was crucified. But today, when they lined the streets with palm branches, they shouted out lyrics from this Psalm. If you're not familiar with the Bible or Psalms, Psalms was the nation of Israel's Spotify, if you will. It was the songbook that they would turn to and go to. And we're gonna read one of those Psalms that they would have sung, Psalm 118. So verse one says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And this is where the psalm turns and becomes its own version of we are the champions from Queens. Open the gates, open for me the gates of the righteous and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks to you for you have answered me. You've become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us or Hosanna is the original Hebrew. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. This is our God. He has made his light shine on us with bows and hands, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. 
You're my God and I will praise you. You're my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, if I was to ask, what is the greatest movie soundtrack of all time? Not movie score, movie soundtrack, an album. What, what, what do you say? Rocky, okay. What? what? Forrest Gump, what? Uh, you, you're trolling right now is what you're doing. What else? Lion King. Star Wars, man, it's, it's Star Wars and both, man, it's a hot take. All right, I put together what I think is my, at least in the top 10 of all time, best movie soundtracks. And one of them was already referenced where Elton John just took care of business. And here's one of the songs you recognize. you're listening online or on the stream, you won't hear any of this because of copyright laws, you must be present to win. But of course, The Lion King, all the different songs that came out of that. Another great soundtrack that if you're older than 30, you probably will recognize. If not, you can tune out for the next you know, 30 seconds. Is this one? That's right, Greece. Everyone learned John Travolta could sing. And if you're not familiar, it just had all kinds of hits on that late 70s. Another one that I would add in my, again, personal top 10 would be one that Phil Collins gave to us. Phil Collins went harder than he needed to for Tarzan. And he just gave hit after hit on that album. And without question, the most successful, let me set it up a little bit. This demonstrably is the most successful movie soundtrack of all time. And a lot of people don't even know it's from a movie. That's how successful it was. They just know the song, but this sold more albums and more records than any other uh, movie soundtrack ever. And here it is, you may recognize it. The bodyguard. People are elbowing because you didn't know that was actually from a movie. It's so successful that people don't even associate it with that anymore. And by successful, I mean, if, if you went to Taylor Swift this weekend, did you know that that album right there has sold more copies than any other female artist album ever? In other words, Whitney Houston with her movie soundtrack beat every Taylor Swift album ever in existence just with a movie soundtrack because that song. Thank you for clapping for, I don't know, it's not Taylor or for Whitney. But point being, if you were gonna put a soundtrack, the reason I start there is because if you were to attach a soundtrack to Holy Week, to Jesus's last week on the planet, it would be Psalm 118. What do I say that? Well, I already started and shared that at the beginning of his entry on the first day of the week, the crowd sung and referenced and quoted lyrics from this song, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, shouting it in the streets. Not only that, Jesus references on Monday of Holy Week, he refers to Psalm 118. And if that wasn't enough, on the final day or on Thursday, after the Last Supper, which would have been a Passover meal, they would sing at the end of Passover, still to this day, Psalm 118. In other words, if you go to a Jewish Seder today, at the end of that meal, they sing Psalm 118. It's the Egyptian Hillel. It's celebrating God's deliverance of the nation through Passover, which 
Jesus and his disciples, his Jewish boys, gathering together for the Passover feast would have sung. It's a song that is incredibly uh, well-known amongst the Jewish community and would have been certainly to the disciples who'd grown up as little boys. Every year at the end of Passover, they would sing. In other words, the meal's not done till we sing Psalm 118. It's one of the most sung songs in history, if you think about it, for the thousands of years that it's been sung. But it's also a psalm that the New Testament writers, and we're gonna dive in and look at why, they loved this psalm. More than any other chapter in the Bible, the New Testament writers quote this psalm other than one other chapter. They would refer to it over and over and over again. It's in all four of the gospels. Peter references it, Paul alludes to it, it's everywhere. Why? Well, it's not just a psalm that answers some really important questions we're gonna look at in a second. Questions about where you can find security in life. Understanding who God is and how he relates to his people. How you can have peace in the midst of just the chaos of our world. But it also points to the point of this world. To someone, as we're going to see, that person being Jesus. So I want to walk through and I want to point out three different truths from this psalm that we see about God. They're simple truths, but profoundly important for you and I as we live this life. We're gonna start back in verse one and I'm gonna walk through just the verses a little slower. So if you have a Bible, you can flip open or back to verse one and we'll look at the first truth. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Now, what's interesting is in the Hebrew, which is what this was originally written in, the word endures is not even included. It was added so that it would make sense in English, but in the original wording, it just says, give thanks to God, his love forever. He's the God of eternal, unending love. And the change, or there's a transition where the author declares that, and then he says, I want to reference different people in the room. And he begins to call out, now you guys sing it, now you guys sing it. He says, let the nation of Israel say, his love endures forever. So everybody now, let the house of Aaron, all the priests in the room, shout out, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, in other words, in case I missed anybody, shout out, his love endures forever. It's like the outcast, hey ya version of the song, part of it, where he's like, now ladies, and he's just saying his love endures forever. It's hard to miss the inescapable truth he's pointing to that God's love never stops. God is a God whose love for humanity never stops. The other interesting thing in the original Hebrew that he uses is a specific word for love. So he's defining who God is and he uses a, a very interesting word for love. In the English language, we have one word for love, it's a love. But in Hebrew, there was different words that had different attachments to them. And he uses the word hesed. It's God's covenant keeping love. The Psalm writer starts out and he's saying, man, let's declare there is a God who is a covenant keeping God, whose love never stops. A covenant is an important thing to understand because in our life, there's different relationships that are really contractual. And then there's relationships that are covenantal. What do I mean? Well, you have contractual relationships. So do I all over your life spectrum. You have a contractual relationship where, Hey, you show up, you give us internet. If you don't, I don't pay. And if at any point, either of us wants to leave this relationship, we can break that contract. You have it with AT&T, any service provider. These are contracts. Then there's relationships specifically in human terms, the relationship of marriage is not contractual. God's vision for marriage is that it would be covenantal, that it would be between one man and one woman, and a covenant is something that only ends in death. And the author of this psalm is saying, praise the fact that there's a God who keeps his covenant, 
who never stops loving and pursuing his people. Now, you, if you've been to church, you may have heard that message. But the picture that this psalm and really the Bible in general gives us of God's love towards humanity, towards people, towards his people, ultimately seen in his people in the church and through Christ, is breathtaking. When you think about the lengths to which a father in this life would go to pursue after his children, and it far pales in comparison to the truth about how far God is willing to go. What do I mean? Uh, in the late 90s, there was a man in Sichuan, China, who had a, a fruit stand at a market, and he would go to that fruit stand, and he would sell fruit, and that's how he made his living. One day, he brought his three-year-old daughter with him to the market. It was a busy day at the market, and so he needed change in order to make a sale, so he went to another booth nearby. Gets change, comes back. His daughter's gone. As a parent, you're terrified. What do you do? You're looking everywhere. You did. Searched everywhere. Couldn't find her. Heartbroken, he decided, I'm going to spend the rest of my life, and I'm going to find her. He sold the fruit market and became a taxi cab driver. Why? So that every person that he picked up, he could hand them a card saying, this is my daughter. Have you seen her? Five years went by. Ten years went by. Twenty years went by. Nothing. 23 years later, he gets a phone call. We found your daughter. There's a picture, it made global news because of just how incredible and the lengths to which this father would go and the fact that he eventually found her and how amazing that is. And as you're a parent in the room, of course, it's no profession you wouldn't leave or change to if it meant being restored to your daughter, your son, your child. The message of the Bible is that there's a God in heaven who has a postures towards humanity, there is no link to which he would not go. And just as great as that love is that that father had for his child, it pales in comparison to the love that God has for every person. The length to which he would go would ultimately be seen through Jesus dying on the cross. Now you may know that message, but here's the good news. And here's why this week is a great opportunity for us. You work around people, they don't know that message. They don't know there's a God who's not angry at them for the decisions that they've made or who doesn't wanna have a relationship with them because they're bad people. There's a God who knows that they're bad people, who would give their life for them because of that and die in their place. And you work around people in your street and on your neighborhood that don't know that message. And God has placed you to be a means of expressing there's a God whose love never stops. This is candidly a great week to do that, being Easter week, the week that more than ever people may be open to, what are you doing this weekend? Sharing that message. But the author is just pointing out, there's a God whose love for humanity never stops. And the song transitions and it goes from these different groups around the room to a single singer standing forward and giving his testimony. Verse five, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he's my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Verse eight, it is better to take refuge or to find security in the Lord than to trust in humans, people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes or political leaders. The author of the Psalm is pointing out, man, if you're gonna experience and find security in this life, it's only gonna come from one place. It's not gonna be a person, it's not gonna be a job, it's not gonna be a thing. There's only one source of lasting security and that is God. Second idea we see from the 
incredible psalm is that God alone provides lasting security. And here's why this is so important, because every day you and I are bombarded with temptations to look for our security in anything or everything but God. And the author's going, you're not gonna find it anywhere but in him, in a relationship with him. There's a way that you can have peace no matter the chaos and the tragedies and the things around us and all the chaos of life. You can have that, but only through God. The reason I say it's so relevant and important is look, think about how many things in life we look to to find our sense of security. Maybe it's a relationship. And one of the ways you know that you look to it for security is if this thing was gone or if it's not there, you are insecure. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's probably more common in this room would be money. But I, I'm not worried about what happens in the economy because I feel secure because of how much I do have. Or I'm really anxious right now because I feel insecure or how much I don't have. Maybe it's in the way that you look that we can be tempted to find our security in the way that our appearance or the way that we look or in a job, or a certain status. And the author of the Psalm says, you're not gonna find lasting security in any of those things. There is one place that you can, but security and confidence from temporary things will always be temporary. But there's a lasting security that you can have and I can have that comes from knowing God. I'll tell you, it's just as a preacher, you know what the temptation for preachers to find their security is in what you think of me. Maybe you can wrestle with finding your security and approval of other people. And the author of the psalm is saying, you can ride that emotional roller coaster or you can have peace, but it won't come from the approval of people. It comes from one place and one person. Pretty powerful truth. Now, how does somebody get to a place where they have that security? Well, my yard, a couple of years ago, we had water, every time that it would rain, would just pour out the front left side of our yard. It would rain and just water would just gush out of the grass. It was so bizarre and didn't know what was happening. I assumed there's a leak or you know something's happening that is below the surface and I can't see it. So we called a plumber, called a sprinkler system. Every time it rains, just floods water all out onto the sidewalk. And somebody came and after like three different people came and examined and couldn't figure out what was going on. They ruled out there's no leak, there's no sprinkler problem. Somebody discovered, oh, you have a natural well, spring, underneath your grass. In other words, there's no solution because you're fighting mother nature at this point. But he explained, the good news is you really don't have to worry about watering your grass. Everybody else, when summer comes and it's hot, they're gonna have to make sure that it gets wet, but you have a connection to a perpetual source of life. And that's what the psalmist is saying, that you and I don't have to look anywhere else. The good news is we have the ability to have a connection to a perpetual source of security in a world of chaos and turbulence. I asked the question, how does somebody get there where they just have a steady confidence? Man, I, no matter what I'm facing, like I trust God's in control, highs and lows, jobs, I'm okay. It's a muscle that they grow as they begin to trust God. An example would be a few years ago, a friend of mine was having open heart surgery which is a pretty terrifying surgery. I remember asking him, he's a solid, strong believer, and hey, are you nervous? And without missing a beat, he said, no. God has ordained every day that I'm gonna live. I'm not gonna live one day longer than he wants me to live, or one day shorter. So I'm not nervous. 
I remember sitting there and being like, I'm nervous to be put under to have dental work happening. How are you so confident and so secure? The answer to that question, just for any of us to have that type of faith, and maybe you've been around somebody like that, but they're just like, that just doesn't shake them. It's not that it happened overnight, it's that it happened through day by day, making the decision, I'm going to choose to trust you, God. I'm gonna trust how you say to handle finances. I'm gonna trust how you say to think about raising children, not how the world says. I'm gonna actually do what you say in your word as it relates to being a parent. I'm gonna think about how to forgive someone, not through the lens of what everyone says, keeping bad blood with people, but through what your word says. I'm gonna choose to forgive. And in making those decisions and choosing to trust, their confidence just continues to grow. God is worthy of that trust. My kids in the summer, we like to go to the swimming pool. And a few years ago, my son was just all about, he just loved, I just wanna jump off the edge and have you catch me. Jump off the edge, have you catch me, dad. And my daughter at the time was two years younger and she wanted to try it. She's seen her brother jump off, dad can catch me. She goes up to the edge and she's ready to go and she can't do it. Hey, it's okay, I'm gonna catch you, I'm gonna catch you. Goes up to the edge, oh no, I can't do it. It's okay, I'm gonna catch you. How do I know which one of those two trusts their father? What's the one who jumps? Until my daughter decides to do that, she's trusting her footing, not her father. And in the same way, through making the decision, God, I'm gonna actually trust what your word says. I'm gonna jump. And the more and more that we do that, the more we see he can catch you. His way leads to what's best, to life. And that confidence continues to grow. See, the author points out that God's a God whose love never stops, that lasting security is only found in him. And then he points out another truth about God. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. He lays this out several times. They surrounded me everywhere, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fail, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. Now, what's interesting and why this was so celebrated at Passover is that exact verse is from the book of Exodus. It happens the moment after, if you remember the story of Exodus, Moses shows up, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, no, 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 10 times, 10 plagues. Eventually Pharaoh says, all right, you guys can go. The nation of Israel exits out of Egypt. When they get close or once they've left the nation, Pharaoh goes, actually, you know what? Change my mind, pursues them. And the nation is backed up against the Red Sea and they're terrified. And now we're gonna be killed and destroyed. Pharaoh's armies chasing after us. And God says, Moses, take your staff and hold it to the sea. And the water parts. Probably heard the story, remember the movie, Prince of Egypt? They walk through, they get to the other side and they sing a song. And the author of this psalm just quoted verbatim that psalm. Again, why it connects to Passover. It's the, verse 14, the Lord is my strength, he's become, and my defense, he's become my salvation. Shouts of joy resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. His right hand has lifted high, his right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. King is celebrating that with God, there is victory. He's chasing me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous and I will enter and give thanks. This is that we are the champions moment. This is the gate through which the Lord, gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks 
For you answered me and you have become my salvation. The third idea that we see in the text that is transformative to our own personal experience in this life is God's victory is certain. The author is celebrating, hey, with God, the victory is certain. That because he is with you or because we know and understand how this thing ends, you can have a peace because God's victory, no matter how dark things get, no matter how politically crazy or whatever happens in this life or personally tragic circumstances become, you and I can have a perspective that God's victory is certain. We know who wins. My son, when he was playing t-ball a couple years ago, I coached his t-ball team. And I showed up for the first game and I realized that like the rules of t-ball have changed. At least they have since when I was a kid. Like it used to be like you play t-ball and there's a few outs and then we switch sides. No longer the case. The team that bats, everybody bats and everybody goes around the bases because we are committed to making more problems for the next generation of all. <laughs> so there's no outs. Everybody bats, everybody goes around the bases, which creates an interesting dilemma because you have to, how do you determine who wins? Well, our team had more players than every other team. So they would know, oh, based on the fact that we got more people, we have more runs, so we win. So they would literally show up to the game, look at the other team and go, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, we won. <laughs> Victory was certain. The author is saying in a much more real sense because of the idea that we as believers, especially, we know no matter what craziness happens in this life, no matter how tragic, and there's a lot of tragic things that happen, that will happen in your future, my future, we know who wins. This life is like a vapor and God's victory is certain. Now, does that make the challenges or pain go away? No, but it does something. It brings emotional stability or it brings a stability to life. Why do I say that? Well, uh, let me use an analogy for sports. At least I think the guys will follow me on. There's times where if you're you know, following a sports team or you're a Mavericks fan or Cowboys fan, Lord bless us, and whatever team you follow, where uh, you, for me, it's the Aggies. Like I wanna watch Aggie football and just be disappointed another year, but I'll watch them. And I will try to avoid anybody telling me the score because, you know, I want to watch it. I want to sit and feel the game. And inevitably, somebody will tell you, you know, the Mavericks, the Mavericks lost. You're like, oh, I'll still go watch the game because I want to see what happens. Or the Cowboys won. I'll go watch. When I have been told the Cowboys won and I still go watch the game, it changes the emotional experience of it, doesn't it? In other words, I'm not going, oh, man, they just got an interception. What's going to happen? I go... Oh, they got an interception. Makes sense. But they still win. Now I get to watch what happens. I'm not riding the emotional roller coaster. And in the same way, author of this psalm, and really the scriptures says that we've been invited by God to have in the midst of all the craziness of life, a stability that comes from knowing God's victory is certain. And there will be a day where all will be restored and every tear will be wiped away and eternity will begin. And his victory is certain. Now here's where the psalm begins to take a, a turn. And I think we begin to see why the authors of the New Testament, eventually they clicked on what this psalm is actually about. And the reason I say that is, like I mentioned, they over and over quote this psalm. At some point, they began to discover this psalm is about more than just Passover. In fact, Passover is about more than just Passover. Here's why I say that. It says this, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Come. The Lord has done this 
and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Again, that word, Lord, save us, is the word Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you, and the Lord is our God. He's made his light shine on us with boughs or with branches in hand. Join in the festal perception, procession up to the horns of the altar. As I mentioned, the word Hosanna, all of these verses would later be lived out and enacted on Palm Sunday where Jesus would show up and we're told that, like I mentioned, during the Passover feast. So Passover was the biggest holiday in the nation of Israel. And that holiday would have hundreds of thousands of people that would travel to Jerusalem. And we're told that Jesus on the first day of Holy Week, Palm Sunday today, 2000 years ago, showed up and those hundreds of thousands of people out of that, a huge crowd begins to form and they line the streets and they begin holding palm branches or boughs in hand and they begin shouting out, Hosanna, Lord save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus rides through on this donkey, declaring, showcasing the Messiah has come. We know that because the Pharisees at that moment as the crowds are yelling and all four gospels record this moment and they allude and reference this verse or this section of this Psalm saying, Hosanna, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. Crowds are shouting it everywhere. They're singing lyrics from this song and the Pharisees rebuke Jesus and say, hey, rebuke the people. They're claiming you're the Messiah. Remember what he says? Luke chapter 19 says, if they don't, even the rocks will cry out. All of creation knows who I am. That's an unbelievably arrogant thing to say, unless it's true. Saying, this king has come. And this Psalm was pointing and points to something so much more, the cornerstone, cornerstone. Jesus rides through showcasing this was about me. Now, at some point, this had to click, or this clicked, we know, for the disciples. Why would they reference it so many times? Why would they point to it so many different times? At some point, they clicked. This psalm is about so much more than Passover. It's, I think it's about the person that all of life is about, which is Jesus. When did it happen? When did it click? When did they realize the song that they knew, they've sang since they were little boys. We've sang it every year, Passover. It's all about him. It's always been about him. Maybe it was in the Passover meal that everything came into focus. My house, 10 years ago, my wife and I moved into a duplex and we moved in and the person who was moving out had a TV on the wall. He said, Would, do you have a TV? If not, I'll sell you this, I'll give you a good price. And he said, it, it has 3D capability. At the time, this was like, I'd never even heard of that before. Home TV, sold. We're in, we're gonna be sitting there watching Cowboys lose or watching Gladiator in 3D. Eventually I turn the TV on and we've moved in and everything's blurry. I'm like, oh, I just got scammed by some guy. I've got no contact information for. I, of course, I bought the TV that doesn't even work. And then I had the thought, I bet there's some glasses I probably need to put on. Found the glasses, put them on. <sighs> Everything came into focus. When was the moment where things came into focus for these disciples who would write the New Testament, who would refer to this Psalm over and over, understanding this Psalm is about more than we ever realized. It was about him. The nation that still today is singing the Jewish Seder that is completed by singing the Psalm 118 
is about him. Maybe it was in the Last Supper with Jesus and Passover, as they followed the Passover feast, there was a very particular way, order of elements that would happen. In other words, the person who would lead it, in this case, it was Jesus, would have a script that they would follow. But Jesus doesn't follow the script in this Last Supper, this Last Passover. They were supposed to take the cup and a normal Passover today, you'd go and they would raise the cup and say, oh, merciful one, make us worthy to live in the days of the Messiah. Jesus didn't say that. He says, this is about me, my blood. That will be a covering for humanity. Maybe it was when he took the bread things began to come into focus for these disciples sitting around and he took the bread. They were supposed to say, this is the bread of affliction. Like our ancestors ate in the wilderness. He didn't say that. He said, this is bread and it's like my body. It's like I break this bread. It, it will be broken for you, for all people. Maybe it was at the end of the feast when they sang Psalm 118 and you have the savior of the world, maybe sitting around a table with guys who didn't, it wasn't in focus yet. They didn't understand this was all about him. And Jesus sits back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, we're told they sang the hymn, what they did. And he sings, the love of God never stops. I will not die, I will live. The cornerstone Rejected by men will be the cornerstone on which everything rests. The love of God never stops. Jesus knowing he was about to go hours later, be crucified and embody that reality. I don't know when it clicked for him. It clearly did. They wouldn't have referenced it over and it was about him. We know at least they had their own 3D moment where not 3D glasses, but third day resurrection. And they began to see it's always been about him, Savior. Died for you, died for me. His body was broken that day. For anyone who would simply trust. And let me just close here. Maybe you're here this morning and you never heard that message and you still have this mentality that Christianity is about being a good person. You gotta show up and if you're gonna, you know, not an Easter, then you're doing bad. You don't come to an Easter service. So you're here just trying to get warm for next week. And you've never heard the message of Christianity, which is actually that God loves bad people. By the way, there's only bad people. It's to the point where he would give his own life. That's the link that would never stop. Even my own life, I'll die in your place. So that you would stop and I would stop trusting in how good we are, or how bad we are, or the things that we've done, but it, in him, his death, his life, his payment for your sin and my sin, his resurrection is proof of that payment. And the reason why you're here this morning is because the love of God never stops and he's pursuing you has been from the first breath you took, will be to the last. Because he's a God, whose love never stops, whose security alone is lasting, and whose victory is certain. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.